part two of Bull and Moth, Romans chapter 12. If you missed last week's message, we looked at the bull being the sacrifice. This morning, the moth is transformation out of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. As you're opening to uh, Romans 12, I'll just kind of tell you where my heart has been this week. Um, in preparation, uh, just going back over my notes again, refreshing it. Many of us, if not all of us, know that the Bible is referred to as the Word. Uh, we, uh, re- we think of how Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life, and we know as Christians uh, that we seek a nourishment from the Word of God. It's, it's, uh, it's what we eat. It's, it is our diet. It helps us grow and strengthens our life as a follower of Christ. And I've just been thinking this week, it's been in my head, I haven't been able to get it out, is that even though I know that the Word um, is nourishment for my soul spiritually, I know that there are oftentimes, it's, it's not that I forget that it's nourishment, it's sometimes I may not have the appetite for it. Um, so my prayer this week has really just been uh, that you and I would come into this place with an appetite, um, ready and, and excited and hungry to be able to hear the Word um, for the purpose of allowing it to ha- take effect in our life, um, that we would find a place for that word to fit, give that word the preeminence, and allow ourselves to walk in the will of God as he reveals to his word. So let me ask you this. Are you hungry this morning for the word of God? Amen. All right. I'm going to start off in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, or I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Here's our emphasis this morning. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, in these short two verses um, last week, looking at sacrifice, the importance of, of sacrifice, a lifestyle of sacrifice, and how that, um, in a very new and fresh way, allows us to look like Jesus, we move down now to the second exhortation, uh, part B, if you will, part two of the apostles' immediate exhortation. Now, let me back up to one little thing. He did say, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God. He was reminding us, uh, reminding them that in light of all that Jesus has done, in light, all, in light of all that God has not done in our life, out of all that He has provided for us and granted to us and heaped up on us, by in light of all of those things that we ought to take heed and follow this teaching of the Apostle. Remember I told you He did not appeal to people's fears. He rather appealed to the mercy of God and said, in light of what God has done. Now remember, in verse 2, it begins, and He is continuing this thought. So just as we ought to live a life of sacrifice because of what Christ has done for us, we ought also to do verse number two also in light of those same heaped mercies on us, on God's same favor in light of all of his goodness that has been given to us. So verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but transformed. Those two words probably ought to jump out to you. They're very similar. One is conform, the other is transform. One of them we're supposed to do, the other one we're not supposed to do. And I'm sure you can see in verse 2, it's very clear. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Some of your Bibles may say to this age. 
but be transformed. These two words stand in stark contrast to one another. One of them is something that we do naturally. The other one is something that happens to us supernaturally. I want to look at these two different words. I want us to be able to understand what is Paul saying when he says, do not be conformed to this age or to this world, but be transformed. What is the difference? Because let me tell you something. When we're really able to understand those two words, I believe having a good, clear understanding of the word conformed and the word transformed should cause us to absolutely despise one of those words. We ought to, and when we really understand what Paul is saying, it ought to disgust us as children of God. While the other one ought to encourage us, we ought to long for that second word. When you put these two words together, they are starkly different. They are absolutely different in every way. And let's see what it does to our heart. Conform. The first thing is this. It literally comes from the word that we get schematic. A drawing, a plan, a form, a blueprint, a mold, if you will. So what Paul is saying is do not be Conform, do not fit into the mold, do not fall into the plan, do not fit into the form of this age. I shared with my kids this week as a little family devotion. I took out a glass jar and I set it on the on the, the, the breakfast island. I just set it there and, and I asked them to come on in. And they came in and they saw the jar and, and I said, What if I pour milk in that jar? Will it still look like a jar? And they said, yeah. I said, if I pour sand in that jar, is it still going to look like a jar? They said, well, yeah, it'll still be in the form of a jar. If I pour waffles and jelly and poke them down in there, is it still going to look like a jar? Well, yeah, it's going to look like a jar because it's in the shape of a jar. You know what Paul's saying? The Bible is reminding us not to fit ourselves into this mold, this schematic of this age. Now, obviously, when he's talking about age, he's referring to a time. He's saying, don't look like the times. Don't fit into this mold. It doesn't matter what you put into that mold. It's going to take the form and the likeness and the shape of whatever that form is. And oftentimes in our life as believers, remember, he's writing to believers. He just said, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's teaching them that you have already received mercy. He then goes on to tell them to fit into the body of Christ, to work together for the purpose of Christ. I think it's safe for us to walk away from this and say that he is talking to believers. And yet, as believers, it's so easy for us to fall back into this pattern or this mold or this form of the world that even though we may be a believer on the outside on the that which is visible that which people can see we have the appearance of this age we may talk like them we may act like them and when i'm talking about this age i'm talking about an age that is referenced and understood as ungodly one that does not have christ or a biblical worldview one that is void of any reference to the deity, to, to the transforming power of God. These, this is a society we're, we're believing here. 
that is set opposite of a, of a, of a person who literally has God as their king. So if we're not careful, our natural tendency with this flesh is to conform, is to fit ourselves into the mold of the world around us, to look like them. Let me give you an example. Peter. Peter the Rock. We remember some of his great accomplishments and we remember some of his failures. And probably one of the greatest failures we could think of of Peter's life was when he denied Jesus. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus had been taken away by the guards. He had already been been betrayed by Judas by a kiss. The guards have taken Jesus and they've hauled him off uh, to his first of many trials through the night. And you may remember that Peter, the Bible says, followed afar off. And he found himself outside the high priest's palace warming himself by the fire. So what we have record of is Peter outside of the high priest's palace, warming himself by the fire. He's not, there's not a mention of the other disciples with him. It's just Peter outside of the high priest's palace with other guards and, and all of those, all of the such. And as he's there, do you remember someone recognized him and said, hey, you're one of his disciples. And Peter said, yes, I am, right? No. He said, no, I'm not. Even a little girl said, yeah, you're one of his disciples. Your speech agrees to it. No, I tell you, I don't know the man you're speaking of. The third time they come and say, definitely, you are one of his disciples. The Bible says he records heaven to record his words. Saying, I tell you the truth, I don't know the man you speak of. He said that in large part because of his surroundings. He spoke like that because of the company that he was in. And I'm not giving him a pass. I'm just being real. He was speaking like that because he was afraid because of the people he was around. He was saying that to fit in, in a way, with those that were there with him. If we're really, if we're not careful and we're not staying on guard, we're going to find ourselves without accountability, without regular time in the Word, without a personal, ongoing, deepening relationship with Christ we better be careful because more than likely we're going to fall back into that form of the world. We're going to think like the world, act like the world, speak like the world. Act like those who have no relationship or reliance on Jesus Christ. Do not be fit, pressed into this mold or the form of this present age. But be transformed. Here comes the first word, conformed. And now the apostle shoves it aside. Because we're not talking about that anymore. Now we're talking about a new word. You see that jar that I set on the table that day? And I put milk in it? Do you know why that milk was held in that jar? Because of the pressure on the milk from the outside. It was the outside pressure of the jar that forced the contents to take that shape. That's what happens in conforming. We are pressed from the outside. We are fit into this mold by the pressure from the outside, but transforming is something different. 
Transforming couldn't be any more opposite than conforming. Where conforming presses you from the outside to fit you into a mold, transforming takes place from inside. Actually, if you think about it, if conforming holds it because of the pressure on the outside is greater than what is on the inside, transformation takes place because what is on the inside is greater than what is on the outside. The power that is in you through the Holy Spirit, the work of God inside of us is greater than what is pressing on us from the outside. How do we keep from fitting into a mold? From the power and the transformation that takes place with inside of us. What does he say? He says, guys, if you want a perfect picture of what this is, it is the caterpillar to the moth. It's the same, but they don't look the same. The caterpillar is not going to go into its cocoon and come out as an elephant. It's not going to go into its cocoon and come out a crocodile or a lion or a human. Its DNA is set. It's going in as a caterpillar goes through the pupa stage and then comes out as a moth. But if you look at all three of those life cycles of that creature, it would be almost unidentifiable. The last one with the beautiful wings, being able to fly. And the other one has to crawl around on the ground and ugly. Let's just admit it. Caterpillars are ugly. You ever seen a tomato worm? Dude, those things are the ugliest creatures ever. Chickens love them. Isn't that weird? I think they're gross and disgusting, but I'll feed them to my chickens, and then I'll eat the eggs. So in a weird way, I'm kind of eating a tomato worm. I digress. Do not be conformed. Don't be fit into that mold. Don't be pushed into that form. Don't let the outside powers compress and push on you to form you into something that Christ never intended you to be, but be transformed. How? What's the second part? The instruction. By the renewing of your mind. How we think. If you got a bulletin this morning, you'll see there's a digging deeper section on the back by the sermon notes. I believe it's in the equip section of that digging deeper. You're going to find about five verses that are in there, five scripture references. All five of those scripture references teach us something about the power of our mind and how God wants to use them. If you notice if you, on your bulletin, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, the Bible tells us in the second part of 10.5 that we are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's one way we, we renew our mind. That if I am thinking about something that does not line up with the Word of God, if I am, thinking, if I am starting to become fearful over something in my life and I'm being pressed on the outside to be afraid and to, to grab a hold of this and to own it, what does the Bible tell me to do? To cast all of my cares on God because he cares for me. So when I'm battling and there are things going on or, or maybe I'm waiting to hear back from the doctor or maybe my job seems to be insecure, what can I do? I'm forced at that moment. Am I going to be conformed into the image of this world and I'm going to worry and I'm going to be upset and I'm going to be concerned? Or am I going to say, you know what? God loves me as a child of God. And even if I can't see it and even don't understand it, God is going to make a way. God is going to provide for me. And I can renew my mind right there. 
The Bible tells me to cast all my care upon Him, for He cares for me. It's renewing my mind, and I choose to take that Word of God and to believe it and to put it in application in my life to do it. That's it. I renew my mind. When that fear starts to come back, and and I'm afraid I'm going to grab it and hold it captivity and throw it out and replace it with the truth of the Word of God. God, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to let the forces of this age compress and push me into something that I'm not supposed to be. I'm going to be transformed. So in the midst of life's difficulties, in the midst of today's uncertainties, I choose to believe the Word of God and allow that to renew my mind. In fact, it's so important. In Ephesians chapter 4, another one of those references in your notes, chapter 4, verses 22, tells us to put off the old man in Christ, or the old man of sin. And in verse 24, it tells us to put on the new man in Christ. So verse 22 tells us take off the old man like we're taking off a pair of clothes and to put on the new man like we're putting on new clothes. But verse 23 says by the renewing of your mind. It says that we need to be able to have that new mind, that mind that is made new. Philippians 4.8 and Colossians 3.12 tell us where to focus our mind. What our mind needs to be, what it needs to be mapped out on. What we need to keep as the focus and in, in the central, uh, central, central aim of our mind. What, what does it need to stay on? And if it's not on that, what do we need to do in order to pull it back in? We need to be able to understand the power of the transformation that takes place in our life. Power that is within us working to overpower that which is outside of us. Not to be pressed, but to be freed. It would be foolish for us to think that we could transform ourselves. It would be foolish for us to think, you know what, I have what it takes. I'm strong enough to overcome the power of this age by myself. If we were able to overcome the power of this age by ourselves, Jesus wouldn't have had to have come to set the captive free. We're all naturally captives. If you think about it, we're all naturally in that mold. This flesh, this sinful flesh that we all all dawn. It always wants to push us back into that mold while the spirit, while the inner man wants us to take on a new likeness. Power that is within us as believers through the Holy Spirit is greater than any power that is outside of us. But will we fuel that transformation by the Word of God, by allowing our mind to be renewed? What is the outcome? What can we expect as believers? If we are being transformed, not being conformed, it says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Guys, 
Think of how he describes God's will. God's purpose. It is good. It is acceptable. Meaning it is worthy of acceptance. And perfect. Perfect. Haven't there been times in our life where we may not have thought may not have used those words to describe God's will. Because frankly, it may have been difficult. It may have been hard. may have been uncomfortable. Remember who's writing this letter? As he describes God's will, it's good, and acceptable, and perfect. This was a man that was beaten regularly, shipwrecked often, hungry, thirsty, naked, destitute, Suffering daily for the advancement of the cause and the will of God. And yet that man who had been and even ended his life as a martyr for the cause of Christ, that man who had left a a more comfortable life as a sinful man and became saved and then began, began to be challenged on every front, all of the five basic necessities of life at various times were stripped from him. And yet that man who was often in prison and shipwrecked and beaten and scourged, that man says that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. And let me tell you something. If you and I are living a life of transformation by the renewing of our mind, if we choose to believe what the Word of God says, if we choose to do what the Word of God says and begin to grow those moth wings totally changing from one person into another. If we are that person, do you know what it says is going to happen? We are going to give proof, literal, walking, talking evidence that God's will is good and worthy of being accepted and perfect. Think about that. If that is me and I am living like Christ, if I am walking in His way, if I am living with this renewed mind, if there is a visible transformation, people are going to look at my life and say, wow, God's will is good. It is something I should accept. And it is perfect. You tell me. You tell me. Another way as believers that we can ever, ever bear witness to anything perfect. You look at my family, you may say, hey, we're a great family. You, and I don't know, maybe some of you don't. You may look at, at us and you may say, man, they're, they're a great family. You know what? We're not a perfect family. We're not. Bree and I just talked about this last night <laughs> at the dining room table. You know, you may look at, at certain people and you may think, man, they're perfect. You know what? They're not. But this is the one, one chance by living a transformed life, by the renewing of my mind, that I can prove, not that I'm perfect, but that His will is perfect. I can't think of another chance another option i have to do be a part of anything perfect i can't apart from god you've all met them you've all encountered them you all may have been them at one time 
that person that says that they're a Christian and that yet their life doesn't show it. If it were not for them telling you that they were a Christian, you probably wouldn't be able to detect that any other way. Not to say that that person is a Christian or is not a Christian, only God knows their heart. What I can tell you is that one of the dangerous things for the work of the kingdom is to find a Christian that's been conformed to the world. Think about it with me for just one moment. If you are a Christian that thinks like the world, acts like the world, speaks like the world, if that form that you're fitting in tells everybody I'm of the world, but yet you say you're a Christian, one of the dangerous things that that produces is a watered-down view of what a Christian is to be. It is a watered-down, distorted view of Jesus Christ. We, as believers, need to take our calling seriously. And remember that we, as Christians, are called by the very name of Christ. The word Christian first shows up in the book of Acts, and it was used as a derogatory term to describe, oh, there goes a little Christ. It's something that we should wear proudly. That my life should be different. That in living this transformed life, I can give evidence that God's will is good and should be accepted and is perfect. My life ought to be, my transformation should have evangelistic effects. And I don't know. Maybe that is you. And it's thinking and living. You're a believer. There's no doubt of that. You know that for sure. But you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know what, I'm running after the same things the world is. Fame, fortune, fun. Those are my motivations. Well, guys, that doesn't line up with the Word of God. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I, I don't really don't give much thought to my, my faith now that I've been saved for so many years. That doesn't line up with what Christ has called us to be. Today, would you willingly look and ask God to survey your heart? When it comes down to it, He's the only one that can really look at our heart the right way. He's the only one that, is, that actually has the true permission to be able to tell us the truth about who we are. And you know what? He won't lie to us. Maybe you can say this, this morning right where you are, God, show me. Show me if I'm living like a transformed Christian. Or show me if I'm living like a conformed believer. Because he wants to change you into that transformed. Say, God, what word is it? What do I need? How do, what word do I need to grab a hold of this morning to renew my mind? He'll do it. Maybe. Maybe you don't know Jesus. You've never encountered this great God who brings brand new life. One of the great promises of all of the Bible, in my opinion, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Bible says that if we believe that we are sinners, if we know that we're sinners, separated from God, 
and we ask Him through Jesus Christ, through what Christ did for us on the cross, if we will ask God's only Son, Jesus, to forgive us, to be our Lord and Savior, our Master and Rescuer. The Bible says if we believe that in our heart and confess Him as Lord with our mouth, we will be saved.